0: Lessons in Tanya, the Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Everyone has a moment of truth when your true core and essence emerges. We can go through our entire lives believing that we know who we are. We know what's important to us. We know what matters to us. We know what engages our attention, our conscious lives. But then we have a moment of truth when our inner core and essence emerges. And we may discover, to our surprise, that that truth that that we thought was important to us matters to us really at the end of the day doesn't really matter that much and that part of our life we had no time for, we neglected, we paid no attention to that is our true core and essence to use a human analogy if you ask a person from one to ten how important is health in your life the answer is ten being the most important Number 11, the most important thing in your life. The proof is in the pudding, God forbid. Your health is challenged, you lose your health, there's nothing you won't do to regain your health. You'll bankrupt yourself. You'll undergo the most painful procedures, anything to restore your health. So we know for a fact, being healthy is the most important thing in your life. But the fact is that most people actively lead unhealthy lives. Eighty percent of the people. 80% of the time, actively lead unhealthy lives. We don't eat healthy, we don't take care of ourselves. And I know for a fact that being healthy is the most important thing in our life. But it's only when we reach a moment of truth. Because that's the human condition. The human condition is immaturity, we're not really in touch with ourselves. We know vaguely, fuzzy, behind, subconsciously, we have a vague feeling that being healthy is important to us. But it has no impact in our lives. It has no effect in our lives. It doesn't change us. It doesn't inspire us. It doesn't move us to change our behavior. But then there comes a moment of truth. If God forbid a person discovers that he's challenged, he's, he's challenged. His health is challenged. And suddenly, you know, they did a test with people who were struggling with addictions. And they couldn't overcome their addictions. And then when they found out that they were threatened with a terminal illness overnight, their addiction was gone. What happened? What happened was they reached a moment of truth. When you reach everyone has a threshold in their life, when you reach a moment of truth, when you can't kid yourself anymore, when it's when life gets real. You know, there's no time for games and for delusions and for foolishness. This is real. Your life is at stake. Whom are you kidding? I'm going to delude myself that every puff, of, every puff of smoke that I take is not harming me. Every bit of junk food that I eat is not harming me. I mean, whom am I kidding? So there comes a moment when you stop kidding yourself. And then that core, that essence, emerges. So everyone has a moment of truth, and the person can go through his entire life. Why is it that only, unfortunately, many families who are don't get along, and then there's a moment of truth. There's a death in the family, and and they discover the depth of that relationship, the depth of that connection. It was buried maybe for decades. But it's there. It's dormant. It's there. But it was buried, forgotten. In the tumult of life, in the rush of life, we just forget. But then there's a moment of truth when that truth just emerges you can't deny it anymore you can't run away from it you can't pretend it comes out and it's full clarity and it's full sharpness and the same is true regarding our Jewishness many Jews will tell you I'm a good Jew at heart but then there comes or I'm Jewish, I'm born Jewish, I have blue eyes, and I'm Jewish, so what? But then there comes a moment of truth. Everyone has a threshold. When you can no longer deny your Jewishness and you can no longer pretend that it doesn't matter or that it's inconsequential or that's irrelevant in my daily life, it suddenly becomes the core, your essence, the most critical thing in your life. Who was it, the writer, Bergson, who assimilated Jew, and then when the Nazis took over France, he went and signed up as a Jew. You know, Everyone has a threshold, and you can no longer pretend and no longer ignore. You have to deal with it, and it comes out, and, and then you have no choice. I'm a Jew. It's who I am. It's my essence. And you come out of the closet, so to speak. And it comes into the forefront. It becomes the most important thing in your life. It becomes a foundation. Your, your, your cornerstone. Your foundation. The underpinning of your existence. It's who you are. It's your essence. And. So this is your truth. Now this is your truth. All along. Crisis. Can only reveal what's there. Crisis doesn't create anything. You know, you're, you're, we all re- remember. We we can never forget. Let's put it that way. The you nine know, eleven. No one no one talked about the billionaire, how many homes they had, or the only thing that mattered at the end of the day. People remembered, or cared about was a good husband, a good wife a good father, a good mother, a good son, a good daughter, a mensh, I mean, that's, at the end of the day, there are moments of truth when you realize that everything you've been preoccupied with, been engaged with, and took up all your time and energy, you had no time and energy left for anything else. You have no time for your family. Well, that, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Who cares? I'm not gonna hug you at the shake case when <laughs> you're 90 years old. Who cares? Your business associates is not gonna keep you company. So, everyone, there, everyone has a moment of truth. And what is the truth of a Jew? The truth, truth of a Jew is that being Jewish is the most important thing in our life. Because a Jew is ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for his Jewishness. When push comes to shove, if it's a question of writing your name down as a Jew or saving yourself by writing yourself down as i I'm a Jew. It's who I am. I'm not going to deny who I am. It's my essence. You can't deny who I am. That is death. For a Jew to deny who you are, that is death. This is who I am. It's my essence. That is life. And a Jew is ready to sacrifice his life for his Yiddish which tells me that that is your truth. And the challenge is, once you realize that's your truth, you don't need a crisis to remind you. You don't need that moment. But you can remind yourself, remember who you are, that if being Jewish is the most important thing, that I'm ready to give up my life. And which Jew is ready to give up his life? Not only the rabbi, the mystic, the scholar who's been immersed in Judaism, We find many, many people ready to go out of their lives with their beliefs, with their causes. But people who are not ardent, pious, deeply religious, even sinners. People who take their life lightly, don't take life seriously, don't take themselves seriously, don't take the Jewishness seriously. Just live a frivolous life. We're simple people who love life, Jews love life. And yet in the moment of truth we see that a Jew is ready to give up his life for his Yiddish. He's ready to martyr himself. And he has, it's almost as if he has no choice. It's not even an option. To deny you Jewishness is not a choice. A Jew would rather give up his life and martyr himself than deny you Jewishness. So where does this come from? This comes from the Neshama. We, what makes us Jewish is we have a Jewish soul. We have a divine spark, a divine essence inside of us. And this divine essence is not something that's Man-made. It's not like religion or mysticism. Religion and mysticism is man-made. It's acquired. You sit and meditate. You go from one level of consciousness to a higher level of consciousness. You develop a sensitivity for spirituality. Um, even rising above your ego, could also, it's a man-made event. But the Jewish readiness for martyrdom is not a man-made event. We have a divine spark within us that have, has a life of its own. Even when we're totally unaware of it, it has a life of its own. It has a reality of its own. And no human fingerprint. It comes directly from Hashem. It, it's, it has a life of its own. It has an essence of its own. And it's almost we have no choice. When that core is touched, when that place within us is touched and challenged, and sparked, then it, ha- it has a life of its own. And we can't even say no, we can't, it's not like, we don't even have an option. Even the highest level of spirituality was like, which is like seeing, but even seeing is, is a human activity, you're seeing. So yes, seeing is not about you, you see the object itself, and seeing is about removing your ego, it's not really about you, it's about what you're seeing. And you see the object itself, and the object itself appears to you, but nevertheless, it comes from a human activity. You're seeing. The life within us has a life of its own. It doesn't derive from us. The moment we're born, we have that divine essence. We have a Jewish soul. And that divine essence knows God, it's a piece of God. And therefore, by its very nature, it just clings to God and, and godliness. And which also explains why a Jew responds to godly things. You know, it's almost inexplicable. But when a Jew is doing something godly, when you do a mitzvah, you study Torah, you're praying, you're not, something within you responds. You know, beyond your level of comprehension, just because we are godly, our essence is godly. And therefore, it just responds when it, when it touches something godly or connects to something godly, it just wakes up, it just responds. Because it is there. It has a life of its own, it has its own life. But it's dormant, it's asleep, it's asleep. That's the analogy he uses, that the godly soul is asleep. What happens when you're asleep? When you're asleep, all your faculties are present. Right, Your eyes, your ears, but you're asleep, they're not functioning. It's there, but it's not functioning. Your eyes don't see, your ears don't hear, your mouth doesn't speak, as those who speak in their sleep. You're not functioning. On a conscious level, there's nothing happening. You're asleep, you're dormant, but it's there. The same thing is with the godly soul. The godly soul, the Jewish soul, may be asleep within us. We don't sense it. We don't, we don't even realize its presence. We don't even realize that we're Jewish. Many Jews go through life and they don't even realize, they don't, make, they don't connect. It means nothing to them. It doesn't affect their behavior, it doesn't change them, it doesn't inspire them. It means nothing. I'm a Jew, so what? It's an accident of birth. They have blue eyes and I'm Jewish so It means nothing. It just they don't think twice about it not necessarily self-hating Jews I may even be proud Jews but I'm a good Jew at heart and that's it that's the end of it it doesn't translate into behavior into daily life living a Jewish life living a godly life acting godly acting Jewish thinking Jewish speaking Jewish in your daily life so it's dormant it's present but it's completely dormant you're asleep you sleepwalk through life most people do not only Jewish wise but in general most of us sleepwalk through life we have potential but that potential lay dormant that's the tragedy of the human condition most of our potential is never realized it's that rare individual one in a thousand who becomes a fully realized human being most people are not fully realized and potential is very subjective you can have a person who's very impressive but is he realizing his potential maybe he's impressive because he just has impressive talents and, and with one a hand tied behind his back, he could be impressive. But is he really, is he really challenging himself? Is he really pushing himself? Is he really living up to his potential? Or is he just skating through life very superficially? So how many people are there in this world that really, you know, operating on all engines, are really challenging themselves, are fully alive, fully awake, And that's really the challenge in life. What's the first thing a Jew does in the morning? You wake up. (laughs) The same modani, first you got to wake up. (laughs) And that's what Judaism is all about. It's about waking up. The Torah and the mitzvot is a a wake-up call. It's waking us up. It's waking us up to ourselves. Stop sleepwalking. Be in touch with yourself. Be in touch with that core, that essence, that pintle of that divine spark that's located at the center of your being. That's your essence. That's your nature. That's who you are. Wake up. Be in touch with yourself. Be real. Be consistent. Be connected. Every moment of your life, every day of your life, every, everything that you say, speak, or act should be consistent, should reflect your true self, your truest self, your deepest self, your, your core, your essence. How many people can say that in life? That's, that's liberation. That's freedom. You know what freedom is? Freedom is to actualize your potential, to be true to yourself. Freedom is not about freedom of, freedom from obligations or freedom from responsibilities or freedom from effort. That's not, that's not freedom. Slacking is not freedom. Freedom is being free to be yourself. And that takes effort. That takes hard, hard effort. But that's the most rewarding thing in life when you act and live a life that's consistent with who you really are, that is is the greatest freedom. So it's all about waking up. But most of us go through life and we do sleepwalk through life. So the divine spark, the divine essence within us is asleep. But then, there is another level which he calls exile. There's a big difference between exile and sleeping. What's the difference? When you're asleep, there's no one controlling you. You're asleep. You're just not awake. You're just not living up to who you really are. You're asleep. You're dormant. Your potential is dormant. There's another thing to go into exile, to be imprisoned. To be imprisoned means you have someone else controlling you, someone else lording over you. And what that means spiritually is it's one thing that divine spark within us is asleep. It's not active. We don't sense it. We're not conscious of it. We don't feel it. It's not a force in our life. It's not a dynamic, vibrant force in our life. It doesn't change us, doesn't move us, doesn't inspire us, doesn't challenge us. We're totally ignorant or unaware of it. But there's another thing to be in exile. To be in exile means to take the neshama that we have and to abuse it to use that energy and to use that energy inappropriately. They once said about the great Hasidic family in Russia, it says their children are either going to become Rebbis, great, giant, spiritual leaders, or they're going to become Gurus, Communist Gurus, or (laughs) creating a revolution, a Socialist Revolution, a Communist Revolution. That's the meaning of exile. When a Jew takes his energy, his divine energy, his infinite energy that God gave us, and instead of channeling it as a Jew, through Torah and mitzvah, which elevate us to the greatest heights and help us find ourselves and help us express ourselves and be consistent with ourselves, instead, Jews created all the revolutions in the world. Because a Jew has a restless soul. We have a divine spark. The divine spark is infinite, undefined. It's restless. You can't just live a normal life, nine to five, barbecuing, living sedately. There's a restlessness in this. Seeking, searching, questioning, challenging, revolutionizing. But instead of using that faith that we have, instead of using that faith and connecting with Hashem, instead we use that faith, we abuse it. We use that faith, and we we believe in terrorists. (laughs) Try to make peace with our sworn enemies, making peace with enemies who remain, who are still our enemies. We believe in communism. We believe we abuse that energy that we have with us, and that's a painful exile. When a Jew abuses his divine energy, and instead of using it in a wholesome way, in a joyous way, in a way where he becomes whole and complete and brings healing to himself, and real tikkun olam, real healing to the world. You can't heal the world if you yourself are split inside. When you yourself are disconnected and, and discombobled, and you yourself are not in touch with who you really are, how could you bring peace to the world, if you're not at peace with yourself, if you're not at peace with your own Jewishness. If you love this stranger more than you love your own brother and sister, your own fellow Jew. And you're more sympathetic with your enemies than you are with your own family and your own friend. It's like a person who's kind to his neighbor, but he beats his wife and beats his child. That's a dysfunctional person, a very sick person person who's dysfunctional can't bring tikkun olam to anyone, can't bring any healing to anyone. Only a person who himself is at peace with himself and charity begins at home, when you're at peace with your own family and at peace with yourself, then you will be a wonderful neighbor and you will bring peace and healing and wholesomeness to the world around you. So this is abuse, this is exile, this is very painful. When a Jew uses his Jewishness to love the entire world without realizing, why do I love the entire world? Why do I care about the whole world? Why are we the first ones to evacuate the Vietnamese or to help the world in every corner of the world? Because of our Jewishness. So instead of denying who you are, instead of being embarrassed or ashamed of who you are, celebrate. Realize how precious it is that because you're Jewish, because you believe that this is God's world and because you believe every human being is created in the image of God that's why we care about the whole world but don't use that as a reason to deny your Jewishness on the contrary that should be a reason the cause to celebrate who you are. so this is a painful exile it's so painful to see a Jew a self-hating Jew when was the last time you met a self-hating Irishman a self-hating Italian it's a unique Jewish phenomenon a self-hating Jew is there any nation on earth who makes peace with its enemies are still their sworn enemies? There's no nation on earth. Where does this phenomenon come from? Where does this illness come from? You don't make peace with enemies. You make peace with former enemies that are no longer your enemies. To make peace with an enemy is absolutely absurd. You defend yourself against your enemies. You defend your wife and children against murderers. So where does... It's so painful. When a Jew, the Jewish soul is an exile, and is not in touch with his Jewishness, and is alienated from his Jewishness, and denies his Jewishness, and is a self-hating, this is a very painful. This is a very painful moment. This is exile. This is the meaning of exile. There's no deeper, darker exile, and there's never been a moment in Jewish history where there was a deeper, darker exile in the present moment. Because it's one thing that the Jewish people were exiled from their own land. The Romans exiled us. The Greeks exiled us. Not by our will. It's another thing to exile yourself. Never in the annals of human history did a nation exile itself from its own homeland. Never. It's unprecedented. Where does this illness come from? This is a painful exile when a Jew is so alienated from his own heritage and his own history and his own cradle and his own people and his own Torah and his own God. Is there a more painful exile? Yes, we're the most affluent generation of Jews that ever lived. But this is a soul exile. This is a spiritual exile. A deep, dark exile. It's, it's like the um, like a city. There were Jews who collaborated with the Nazis. Kapos. Is there a more painful, more painful exile than a person who identifies with his tormentors? When a person loses his identity and loses his pride and loses his genuineness and channels all that energy that genius and that brilliance and that energy and that life force and that vitality for foreign causes alien causes causes that that are detrimental tomorrow night we're celebrating Yud-Bais Tamas the holiday of liberation of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe 1927, 80 years ago was sentenced to death by Stalinist Russia. And miraculously, he was totally released. Three weeks later, he was totally released in the 12 days of Tama. It was the first major defeat of the Soviet Union, which planted the seed for the ultimate demise of the, of the Soviet Union. Who was the instigators behind this exile, behind the arrest of the previous Lava It was the Jewish Communists, the Afsaksy. They were behind, they were instrumental, they were behind the whole arrest of the previous Rebbe. The one who arrested the previous Rebbe, his name was Nachmanson, when they took the Rebbe out in the morning, in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., after interrogating him for two hours, searching his house, he said, Rebbe, let me carry your bag. My grandfather was a chassid of your grandfather, and he used to carry his bags on his travels. So the previous rep, grabbed the bag back, and he says, your grandfather went wherever my grandfather told him to go, wanted him to go. You're taking me where you want to go. You're not carrying my bags. <laughs> he took the bag away. So it was the self-hating Jew. And what was the end of the self-hating Jews? They were shot like dogs by Stalin. Now, the anti-Semite doesn't respect the self-hating Jew. They hate him with the same passion like they hate the rabbi chassid the mystic the scholar it makes no difference a Jew is a Jew is a Jew isn't that famous uh, scene in Annie Hall <laughs> he's going to meet his future in-laws yeah. and what do they see <laughs> they see Woody Allen with their strimal with a long beard <laughs> uh, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew it doesn't matter <laughs> how much you try to assimilate you can be more English than the English, and you can be more, more German than the German, and you don't fool anyone. The non-Jew is objective. The non-Jew sees through all these superficial layers. A Jew, is a Jew is a Jew. What makes us Jewish is we have the Jewish spark, we have the Jewish soul. And who is a free person? Who's not in exile? Exile is not about, it's not a physical state of being. You could be in prison, and you can be free. And you could be living free, and you're, you're in prison. Redemption or exile, it's inner, it's spiritual redemption. It's not about the Jewish state, it's about the state of the Jew, the inner state of the Jew. Is a Jew proud? Is a Jew connected? Is a Jew, does a Jew cherish his, his Jewishness? Does he realize how precious it is? Does he live it? Does he express it? Does he love it? Does he realize that we're a link in a chain that goes, a golden chain that goes back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, and continues to the end of time? Does he cherish being Jewish? Our Torah, our God, our history, our destiny. We haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. But when a Jew is painfully alienated from himself, and feels uncomfortable with his Jewishness. And doesn't understand it. Due to no fault of his own. He never had a Jewish education. But if the Jew is uncomfortable with his own Jewishness. How do you expect the whole world to be comfortable? So this is exile. Exile means you're under the control of some foreign. Some alien. Some other authority. You're not, you're not free to be yourself. So when a Jew's energies are channeled in a very non-Jewish way, in a negative way. That is the meaning of exile. But this could only affect the conscious level of the Jew. The core, the essence of the Jew cannot be affected because the essence of the Jew could only be asleep. But it can never go into exile. No one has any power over the essence of a Jew. Even we do not have the freedom of choice to destroy the pintele yid, that spark, that core, that essence we cannot soil that place, we cannot contaminate that place, no matter, even if we choose to violate and transgress all 613 mitzvahs, nevertheless, a Jew is a Jew, is a Jew A Jew will always remain a Jew. As the previous Lubavitcher he said so beautifully, so eloquently, he said, why is it when a Jew wakes up in the morning, after he wakes up, what's the first thing he does while he's still lying in bed? He says, moda ani lefanecha, I thank you, Hashem, the eternal God, you return to me my soul, with mercy, great is my faith in you. Why is that the first thing we say? And we say it Why we're still lying in bed. Before you even wash your hands. When you sleep, a Jew is in a state of impurity because nature abhors a vacuum. So when the divine soul It's not active in your life. It's not conscious. There's no neutral. There's no neutrality. If if your life is not filled with life and vitality and holiness, automatically it becomes filled with the opposite, impurity. When you wake up, your life comes back. The impurity remains in your fingers, and that's why you have to wash your hands in the morning before you you move, before you walk, before you wash, before you do anything. You have to immediately wash Nagavasar, once, twice, and six times. But moed ani, we say even while we're lying in bed before we wash our hands. How can we say a prayer when we're still impure? We just woke up. A simple explanation is because we're not saying God's name. Moed doesn't have God's name. We're just speaking in Hebrew, but there's no God's name is not mentioned. It's true. You're not allowed to mention God's name while you're still impure. You have to wash your hands. But you don't mention God's name. That's a simple explanation. The deepest explanation, the previous Rebbe said, the Hasidic explanation, is that the moda'ani of a Jew, the pintle-yid, the core, the essence, the spark that we speak of in this chapter, that ability of self-sacrifice, that ability of martyrdom, the spark of God that we carry within us, it's located at the very center of our being. All the impurities of the world cannot touch that place. No matter what choices we made in life, we made every negative choice in life, we made every mistake in life, no matter what our behavior is so egregious, no matter what happens in our life, that spark always remains pure and intact and holy because it comes directly from God. There's no human fingerprints in it. Just like we can't affect God, we can't change God, we can't affect, touch the spark of God within us. So all the impurities of the world cannot contaminate the spirit, the essence of a Jew. So the only thing that can happen to it is it can be asleep, it can be dormant, but it can never go into exile. No one could control that, no one could dilute it or harness it in a negative way. So the core, the essence, is asleep, it's dormant. The conscious level of the Jew could go into exile. When a Jew channels his energy in strange and foreign pastures, instead of seeking and searching his spirit and his soul and his being and his identity in his own backyard his own jewishness instead he seeks it in foreign pastures alien pastures foreign pastures that are so far from judaism and of course which can never ultimately can never satisfy the jewish soul because it's not what you're looking for and you'll always remain restless because it's not it's not you it's a nice distraction, and you can be involved in mysticism and spirituality and religion. But it's it's a nice distraction. But it's not you. It's not who you are. It's not your essence. The only thing that can satisfy a Jew's insatiable appetite, a Jew's insatiable hunger, God is, is studying Torah. Every word of Torah, every letter in the Torah, studying the Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah, the soul of the Torah and doing the mitzvot and praying to Hashem and doing the mitzvot acts of goodness and kindness and all the mitzvot between man and man and between man and God that's the only thing that can satisfy this deep, innate, inherent urge and hunger and need that a Jew has deepest needs but we get distracted just like a person gets distracted with materialism and he's, he's so caught up in his acquiring, amassing money, power, fame that he's not paying attention he's not listening to his inner conscience, his inner voice a person gets distracted with spirituality also Buddhism and Hinduism and Jubus and you get distracted with all types of things but you are not listening you're not paying attention to that pintele yid, that core, that essence that part within us that can never go into exile that can only be dormant but is always there and at a moment's notice can come roaring like a lion. That's why it says in this week's Torah portion, the only Torah portion that's named after an anti-Semite who tried to annihilate the Jewish people, like a Hitler. And in this Torah portion, we find the greatest prophecies about the future of the Jewish people, the greatest prophecies of Mashiach and Bilaam by Bilaam, And he compares the Jewish people to a crouching lion. Just like a lion, the lion is crouching. Yes, maybe a Jew is in exile. He's crouching, you don't see his power, you don't see his strength, you don't see the divine, you don't see his divinity, you don't see the godliness, you don't see the holiness, you don't see the wholesomeness. But the lion is there, intact. And in a moment's notice, the lion could come out of his crouch and come roaring to life in a split second. Because it's there, it's dormant, but it's there. And in a moment of truth, we're just celebrating 40 years since the Six-Day War, that was a moment of truth to our generation. When Israel was facing another Holocaust, there was a, a, an awakening. It stirred the consciousness of every Jew in the world. It was an awakening, and that sparked the whole Baltruva movement, where hundreds of thousands of Jews eventually found their way back to, to Yiddishkeit. That sparked, that was an awakening. When you had the kibbutznik who grew up in the left wing kibbutz standing at the wall, asking his religious comrade, he says, Please tell me. Tell me a Jewish prayer. I don't know any Jewish prayer. He says, say the Shema. I don't know the Shema. Please read it for me and I'll say it with you. And he said the Shema. And we have the picture. He's crying like a baby. Inexplicably. Couldn't even explain it to himself. I grew up an atheist. I grew up with aggressive atheism. I grew up with a self-hating. To be a self-hating Jew. I grew up eating bread on Pesach. Eating Chazer on Yom Kippur. Hashomer And here I am crying like a baby when the wall was liberated. How do you explain it? You can't. It's divine. It's biblical. It's a miracle because it's there. The lion is there. It's dormant. It's asleep. But in the moment's notice, when something touches you so deeply, when you reach a threshold, a moment in your life, it awakens. It up. It's there. And you can't even explain it. You don't even know where it comes from. It has a life of its own. It just has a life of its own and you feel drawn and connected and you feel Jewish and and powerfully connected. So much so that you're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. Push comes to shove. If you had a choice to deny your Jewishness, Matt, you would rather give up your life. 95% of Jews, all walks of life, not only saints and scholars and rabbis and mystics, simple people, cobblers, tailors, prostitutes, thieves. In the moment of truth, if you were put to test, I to deny your Jewishness. You would rather give up your life. It's not a choice. It's not an option. It has a life of its own. I'm a Jew. How can I give up my Jewishness? It's who I am. I can't deny who I am. That is death to me. To deny who I am, that is death. Being Jewish, that's life. That's everything. That's the core and essence of your being. And once you awaken that point within you, then it affects you. that's why he says that even the most worthless Jew, the most worthless of worthless, the person who has no appreciation, no sensitivity for anything godly, for anything divine, for anything spiritual, for anything soulful, is just a very down-to-earth, practical, materialistic person who just loves life and enjoys life, and just thinking about the next moment, and just couldn't care about anything. Doesn't care about himself, doesn't care about anything. But in the moment of truth, suddenly will act so heroically, and inexplicably. He can't even explain it to himself. Where is this coming from? He'll act so heroically. And without a m- moment's of hesitation, without even a thought, would give up his life, his entire being in one second. for his Jewishness. It's that important to him. It means everything to him. He almost has no choice. How can I? I don't have a choice. How can I? And even while he's sacrificing his life, it doesn't necessarily mean at that moment that suddenly he's turned into a saint a scholar, a mystic. No, he remains the same person. Maybe in other areas in his life, he couldn't care less about his Jewishness. But yet, he's ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for his Jewishness. Obviously, a person who was ready to make the ultimate sacrifice and then miraculously was saved at the last moment. Let's say a Jew faced an order of the faith and miraculously, the last moment is... Sentence was commuted. Do you think that person will stay the same person? I mean, something will have to affect him. Anyone that experienced life on such a level, that touched life on such a deep level, that touched his Jewishness in such a deep place, it will have to affect. It will have to change. Because he exposed such an intense level that's right beneath the surface. is, we have it all the time but it's right beneath the surface but we don't sense it we don't feel it we don't sense it and we can go through our entire lives decades upon decades and we're not aware blissfully ignorant of our Jewishness how important it is to us or it means everything to us and we're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for it that's how important it is but a Jew who was confronted and challenged and this core emerged and surfaced will have to be different his life will have to change something will have to change in his life he can't just go back and pretend that nothing happened or means nothing to me or being Jewish is not important to me, it will have to affect his life. Because the challenge is not to die for, for God. The challenge is to live. To live for Hashem. Although you think to yourself it may be more difficult, maybe it's easier, just one, it's a one-time thing. You die, you die a martyr, you die a hero. But to live your daily life, And face all the challenges and make all the small sacrifices every day of your life. When you have a choice to think positive and think negative, and it's so much easier to think negative. It takes so much effort to push yourself to think positive. Or it's so much easier to take the path of least resistance. Slend, talk slander, say a little lie. It's so much more difficult to push yourself to always tell the truth. And be honest. And always speak kindly of other people it's so much easier to behave negatively you know it's not only junk food it's also a drunk lifestyle drunk lifestyle is more tempting and drunk lifestyle so much easier it's so much more difficult to take so much discipline to eat healthy to live a healthy lifestyle a wholesome lifestyle you know it's so much easier to take the path of least resistance so it's the small sacrifices that we have to take each and every day of our lives to live up to our essence, live up to our potential, live up to our Jewishness, to think Jewish and speak Jewish and act Jewish 24-7, every day of our lives, to live on a healthy diet of Jewish living and Jewish observance and, 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 and wholesome living and, and uh, godly and divine living and good living, and of course it's rewarding. You eat junk food, you, feel, you, feel, you don't feel good at the end of the day, you, you live a junk lifestyle feels very empty, hollow, and shallow and very superficial at the end of the day. You eat healthy, you eat with discipline, you eat properly, you take care of yourself. You live a healthy and wholesome lifestyle based on the code of Jewish law, Jewish lifestyle. You feel like a million dollars at the end of the day. No one ever regretted doing a good mit- a mitzvah. No one ever said, "Oh, shucks, I pushed myself. I went to shul. Oy, I woke up early. I studied Torah. I gave tzedakah. At the end of the day, you feel like a million dollars. You pushed yourself. I'm a chayah. It feels great. But if you take the path of least resistance and you don't stand up to the pressure and you succumb to the instant gratification, yeah, it feels good for the moment. But it's like, it's like at the end of the day, you feel cheap. It Doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you feel healthy and robust and vibrant. And you feel weak and cheap and hollow and empty and shallow and superficial. And it doesn't leave you with a good taste. Like chewing gum, it tastes good for a moment, and then you spit it out. And it's just not good. So. The challenges A person has to think to himself If I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for God I'm ready to give up my life for God When a Jew says Shema Yisroel You think to yourself If I'm ready to give up my life for Hashem I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for Hashem Surely I'm ready to make a little sacrifice Instead of telling a lie I'll tell the truth Instead of cheating I'll be honest. I don't want to, I'm not lazy I don't want to come to shul I'll come to shul I don't want to put on the tzvillin I'll put on the tzvillin I'll light the candles I'll give the tzadaka It's so much easier. If I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, if being Jewish means so much to me, then I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. Why do I need that moment of truth? Why do I need to wait for that threshold? Let me decide, choose, decide to live my life now. Life is consistent with who I really am. And that's the only, that's the only, that's the path to freedom. If I want to be free, if I want to be wholesome and free, and be inside like outside, outside like inside, consistent, where my pot- actual matches and meets my potential. There's only one way, one path. To follow the Torah, to lead a Jewish life. Live like a Jew. Love it. And do it with passion and with feeling and excitement, not as a burden. nebuch. I have to do this, and I'm burdened. On the contrary, I look, I look forward, I live it, I love it. It's part of my life, it's life, it's a lot. So this is, this is the Shema Yisrael. The Jew has to think and meditate on this fact. If this is my true essence, then why should I be asleep? Why should I sleepwalk through life? Let me wake up. By the way, uh, if you have any questions, you don't have to agree with anything we say here.
0: <laughs> okay, let's learn a little inside. But this exile, the faculty of Chachma, affects only that aspect of it which is diffused throughout the nefesh and animates it with divine vitality. Being an exile... It is unable to pervade the entire soul, and through it the entire body, with a feeling of self-nullification before God characteristic of Chachma. Thus, in this state of exile, it is unable to prevent one from sunning. So it's not able to pierce the consciousness, our conscious level. It's there, it's
1: intact, it's whole, but it's dormant. It's not able to reach our minds, our hearts, so it has no effect on us.
0: Yet. The root and core of the chokhmah in the divine soul is in the brain, and does not clothe itself in the sackcloth of the klipa and the left part of the heart, in a true state of exile, that is, so that it be powerless to prevent one from sinning. It is merely dormant in the case of the wicked, not exercising its influence within them, that is, not creating within the Jew the spirit of self-nullification before God that it ought to create. As long as their knowledge and understanding are preoccupied with mundane pleasures. The soul faculties of knowledge, Dad, and understanding, Bina, are lower than Chokhmah. Yet the level of Chokhmah is prevented from acting upon them, and upon the other still lower faculties, as long as they are immersed in mundane pleasures. Thus, the Chokhmah of their divine soul is dormant, not dead. It has lost none of its potency. Only its ability to exercise it, just as when one sleeps, he retains full possession of his faculties, though he cannot use them. A person cannot
1: live a life of indulgence. A person cannot define himself by materialism and at the same time appreciate and have a sensitivity towards godliness. You know, How do you define yourself? What's real to you? If if your life is all about indulgence and and instant gratification and you define yourself and money, power, fame, and that's that's the sum total of who you are, then you, you obstruct, you block, you don't allow yourself to appreciate and to be sensitive to spirituality, to soul things. So Yes, we have this, this ability within us. We all have this ability within us, this divine ability within us that only responds to divine and godly things. And yet, we have no enjoyment, we have no pleasure. When it comes to doing something divine, doing a mitzvah, studying, praying, acting selflessly, we can't relate. We can't connect. It doesn't talk to us. Because we're so immersed in materialism that it doesn't allow it to penetrate our consciousness. It doesn't allow us to connect with it. So it's asleep, it's there, it's asleep.
0: However, when they, the wicked, are confronted with a test of faith, which transcends knowledge, touching the very soul and the faculty of Chachma within it, the source of faith, then it arises from its sleep. That is, Chachma reveals itself and it exerts its influence with the divine force that is clothed in it. Its influence being to create a spirit of self sacrifice for God, as the Altar Rebbe states further.
1: Only when this core and essence, when this divine spark is asleep, only then then it cannot penetrate through our conscious self. But once it awakens, then everything melts in its path. There's no resistance. There's no part within us. Even a Jew who's worthless, who acts, lives a worthless life, who doesn't feel the preciousness of his soul, who doesn't appreciate the preciousness of his soul, couldn't care less about anything spiritual, tramples on anything that's spiritual and meaningful, tramples on anyone and everyone and everything that's really of true value, doesn't appreciate. But when this godly soul, this divine spark within us awakens, there's nothing that can stop it. It affects the entire person. The entire person suddenly becomes totally engaged by godliness. And the only thing that matters to you at that moment is god so this worthless of the worthless this this thief this person who has no connection to anything jewish his low life suddenly his godly soul takes over it's like a total takeover and takes over his entire being and suddenly all he cares about is being jewish but you never went to shul in 40 years it meant nothing to you you trampled any spiritual senses sens- sens- sensibility why is this the most important thing in your life? At this moment you're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. He can't even explain it to himself. But it's like a total takeover. The divine soul just totally emerges and surfaces and wakes up and it just takes over your entire being. It has a life of its own. And you have no choice. It's not like you have a choice. You have no choice. How can I not be Jewish? It's who I am. I'm not gonna deny who I am, it's impossible.
0: Like it's as it is written. As it's written. Then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep. This verse refers also to the level of chokhmah and the light of the sof cloth therein, which was previously in a state of sleep, inactive, but arises and exerts its influence when faced with a test of faith. He's referring to the divine within us, the center of Hashem which is in us,
1: within each and every one of us. That divine spark that each and every one, that piece of God that each and every one of us carries, that makes us Jewish, we have that Jewish soul have that piece of the divine essence inside of us. And when that awakens,
0: (laughs) there's nothing standing in the way. The revelation of Chokmah leads even the sinner to withstand the test of faith in God without any reasoning or knowledge that he can comprehend, which would motivate him to sacrifice his life, and to prevail over the kalipot and over his desires toward worldly matters, both permitted and forbidden, which he was accustomed to indulge and even to despise them. That is, in this state of readiness for martyrdom, the sinner not only overcomes his desires for worldly pleasures, but loses them entirely on the objects of his past. Desires are now detestable to him. He's been addicted. He's been living this lifestyle for decades. Not
1: only has he indulged in things that are permitted, he's indulging in things that are absolutely prohibited. And he's been doing it for decades, without any guilt, without any, any feeling of remorse. And suddenly, at this moment of self-martyrdom, of self-sacrifice, when he's put to the test, at that moment, this divine spark awakens within him. At that moment, he can break off from his shackles, from his addictions. And not only is he able to overcome uh, these desires, he actually begins to despise it. At that moment, he despises anything that's not Jewish, anything that's materialistic, anything that's, that disconnects him from Hashem, he totally despises with every fiber of his being and every bone in his body. A total transformation at that moment
0: continues. And to choose God as his portion and his lot. That is, he dedicates to God both his internal faculties of intellect and emotion, referred to as one's portion, and his higher transcendent faculties, his will and pleasure, which are called one's lot so that he is prepared to offer his soul to God in martyrdom for the sanctification of his name. Although the Kalipa prevailed over him, over this sinner who is now prepared to accept martyrdom all his life, and he was impotent against them, as the rabbis have said that the wicked are under the control of their heart, that is, the animal soul of the Kalipa situated in the left part of the heart, nevertheless, when he faces a test challenging his faith in the one God, a faith whose foundation is in that level of the divine soul called the heights of holiness, namely the faculty of Chachma which is called Kodesh, the source of holiness, as previously explained, and which is clothed the light of the angels self, blessed be he, then all the Cleepot become nullified, and they vanish as though they had never been in the presence of the Lord. So it's written, All the nations, including also the Klipot, are as nothing before him. And for all your enemies, O Lord, Referring also to the kalipot, which are the enemies of God. All your enemies will perish, they will be scattered. And again, as wax melts before fire, so shall the wicked perish. And the hills, referring to the kalipot, which are compared to hills by reason of their hotter, melted like wax. All these verses illustrate how the Klipod vanish when the light of God found in the chokhmah of the divine soul reveals itself. Therefore, despite the fact that the always had the upper hand over a sinner, he is able to overcome them when his faith is challenged. We thus see that every Jew has an inherent ability to overcome temptation by virtue of his soul's hidden love of God originating in its faculty of chokhmah. He need merely arouse it. Now,
1: Al-Tarebi is going to explain. He, he set out four questions. He says, where does this love, hidden love, that each and every Jew has within them, where does it come from? And, um, what level is, that, is it in the soul? What is the, what does the person want? What is the person looking for? What's the content of this love? And where?" Where does fear come into the picture? Awe of God, fear of God. So he explained, and with this he explains the verse, which is the foundation of the tanya, that being Jewish is something that's very close to each and every Jew. It's the most natural thing for each and every Jew, no matter who they are, where they are, whatever station they are in life, whatever circumstances they find themselves, it's the most natural thing in the world for any Jew to be Jewish. Why? Because this is your core, this is your essence. Even if you don't have the ability to meditate, and even if you don't have the, the mind and the and it's just natural, it's innate, it's inherent right beneath the surface each and every one of us inherits our Jewishness unlike religion, religion you don't inherit religion but a Jew inherits his Jewishness it's biological, you inherit your Jewishness because it's your core, it's your essence we inherit it from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel and Leah because their Jewishness touched the very core and essence of their being and this is the level of Chachma the level, the highest level of the Jewish soul that each and every one of us contains, which is a vessel for the infinite light for Hashem. And he just finished explaining what is the purpose, what is the content of this love that we have for Hashem, what are we looking for? The answer is we're not looking for anything in return. We're not, it's, we just are connected with God. It's not a, it's not a possibility for us to be disconnected with God. Even though we're ready to sacrifice our soul, we're going to cease to exist and the ultimate drive, the most natural drive of everything that exists in this world is self-preservation and to continue your existence everything in this world is motivated by self-preservation from the angel to the religious mystic to the amoeba everything is about self-preservation the question is what is that self? is it just the self could it be spirituality could it be the ultimate ego trip but it's ultimately about self expanded self, a higher self the Jew Jewish martyrdom is about self-sacrifice it's giving up yourself losing yourself, forgetting about yourself. This is unique. It's unprecedented. It doesn't exist in the universe. Where does this come from? And it comes naturally to the Jew, because it's our essence, because it has a life of its own. We have a piece of the divine essence inside of us. And now he's going to explain how the awe of Hashem, the fear of Hashem, is all included in this love. How it's two sides of the same coin. And he explains it by pointing out something very fascinating about we know that a Jew, Jews love life. Life is the holiest thing for the Jew. You have to violate all 613 mitzvot with the three exceptions. You have to violate all 613 mitzvot just to sustain life even for another moment. That's how precious life in this world is, not the the other world, the other life, the afterlife, life in this world. What are the three exceptions? Idolatry, adultery, and murder someone points a gunty head and says, you must commit murder, otherwise I'm going to kill you, you have to allow yourself to be killed. You have no right to kill another person. someone forces you to commit adultery, you'd rather die than commit adultery. Or any sexual relationship that the Torah prohibits that receives a capital crime. And idolatry. Now if you think about it, idolatry makes no sense. Adultery makes sense. The Torah says you can't commit adultery, so rather die than commit adultery, or commit an act that's prohibited. The Torah says, "Don't thou shalt not murder." You have no right to save your own life at the expense of someone else's life. Why is that person's blood any redder than my blood? I'm, trans- I'm transgressing. Why, for the sake of saving a life? But I'm not saving a life. I'm taking a life, so I have no right to transgress. But idolatry makes no sense. Because what is idolatry? Idolatry is primarily in the mind, in the heart. If you believe in the idol, even if you don't bow down to the idol, that is idolatry. If you bow down to the idol, you don't believe in the idol, that's not really idolatry. So the guy who's holding a gun to your head and forcing you to to bow down, to kiss the cross, bow down to the idol. He knows that you despise him and you despise his God. The only reason you're bowing down is because he has a gun to your head. Is that really idolatry? It it doesn't sound like idolatry. So why would a Jew give up his life? Throughout Jewish history, tens of thousands of Jews, unfortunately, were put to the test. And in 95, if not higher, percent of the cases, a Jew would rather give up his life and deny his Jewishness. Why? Makes no sense. It's not a why, why not? Why not bow down to the idol? Save your life. Live another day. You can take revenge. You can live a Jewish life. Why did Hannah and her seven sons, why did, she, why did they die? Why did, she, why did they give up their lives? For what? For when? If they wouldn't have died, they would have ended up becoming Tanoim, one of the greatest Talmudic rabbis. They had such spirit. Their children were amazing. Why did they give up their lives? To prove what? What reason? throw your life away just capriciously when life is so precious to us so it makes no sense it's inexplicable and yet this is the essence of what a Jew is all about because a Jew is so connected to God that once that core and essence the Jew within us the Jew within the Jew the Jewish soul awakens within us it permeates our entire being And therefore, there isn't a fiber in our being, there isn't a bone in our body, there isn't a single, even 0.1% of us that could be outside of the equation, could be outside of our Jewishness. So for a Jew to bow down to the idol, even though it's only external, it's superficial, I'm just bowing down. My mind is not into it, my heart is not into it, I hate it, I despise it. The the person holding a gun to my head knows that I hate it and I despise it. But even externally, even superficially, even for appearance sake, that I'm bowing down, denying my Jewishness, kissing the cross, bowing down to an idol. I would rather die than do that. This teaches, this shows us how powerful our soul is. It permeates our entire being. For a Jew, it's like, it's like asking, it's like a marriage, asking us to be unfaithful to our spouse, just for one moment, just for one minute. The rest of your life, you were faithful till now, you can be faithful the rest of your life. It's not a option. To bow down to the idol for one moment, one split second, externally, superficially, just bow down for the moment and then go back to your Jew. It's not an option. It's not a possibility. It's like taking a a recess from life just for one second, right? Take a recess from life just for a second. You take a recess from life, it's all over. Walk off the face of the earth. it's, It's not an option. That's how powerful our connection to God is. A Jew's connection to God is so powerful. It's so overwhelming. It's so all-inclusive there isn't a part of our life there isn't a cell in our being that's not included in our relationship in our marriage our connection with God and to disconnect even on the most superficial level is simply not an option why? because it has a life of its own we simply cannot be disconnected from God so what do we see from this? we see from this that this is the awe the fear that's included in the love it's not only we love God with our whole being with all our might, with every cell in our body. But we cannot be disconnected. It's not an option. We simply, a Jew, simply cannot be disconnected. It's not a choice. We almost have no choice in the matter. When push comes to shove, in the moment of truth, when we're tested, we simply have no choice. We cannot be disconnected. I cannot deny, I can't cut myself off from who I am. It's who I am. That's my lifeline. It's not about dying. It's about life. And to bow down to the idol for a Jew is the equivalent of death. And I've already died
0: it was all this summarized
1: a little bit by what said to us that when you are, you're as Jewish as you right. that, exactly. Exactly. Because it has a life of its own. There's no human fingerprints on it. It comes directly from Hashem, a piece of the divine essence that's located at the very center of our being, and we have it the moment we're born, the moment you're born to a Jewish mother. Or from someone who converts halachically that person what makes them Jewish is they have a Jewish soul they have this ability of martyrdom this unique Jewish ability of martyrdom which is different than other martyrdoms and that comes from from the essence of our being and we have it intact the moment you're born you'll never become one of your other more Jewish you can go to yeshiva for 30 years, you can learn to appreciate it more, you can learn to tap into it, you can learn to express it, but you don't become one or the other more Jewish. And you're just as Jewish as you are on a Wednesday afternoon if you're traveling in, in, in Thailand, Thailand as you are in Yom Kippur, sitting here in New York in Yom Kippur or sitting in Jerusalem. It makes no difference. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And the Jew hasn't changed. The same Jew, with the same Jew that stood at Sinai, and the same Jew that stood at the, in the temple, and the same Jew that witnessed the crossing, the miraculous crossing of the Jordan, and the same Jew that stood there with Rabbi Akiva, the same Jew. The Jew hasn't. The core, the essence hasn't changed. Superficially, maybe we speak different languages and we wear different clothes, but the essence hasn't changed. The force, the power, the potency, the the, relev- the relevancy hasn't changed. One ayod, it's just as powerful, just as potent. Today, as it was, 3,800 years ago, nothing changed. Nothing. Core things don't change. Superficial things change. The core, the essence never changes. It's forever. And you see that most in our generation. When you have Jews who grew up without the benefit of a Jewish education, due to no fault of their own, who have been cut off for two, three generations from anything Jewish, and they've rediscovered their they universally educated, they've been exposed to every culture under the sun, and yet they've discovered, hundreds of thousands of young Jews, intelligent, successful young Jews, have discovered their Jewishness with a vengeance. Their passion. Where is this coming from? This corroborates and confirms everything we're talking about here. That being Jewish is our essence. It's who we are. And therefore it's the most natural thing in the world for a Jew to be connected to God. And for a Jew to be disconnected is simply not an option. It's simply not an option. I can't be unfaithful to who I am. I can't. I can't eat non culture I can't. I'm a Jew. I can't tell a lie. I'm a Jew. I can't. I can't be dishonest. I can't. I can't steal. I'm a Jew. God says don't steal. I'm a Jew. I can't. I just can't do it. It's not an option. But it's, it's dormant. We don't sense it. We don't sense its force. We don't sense its power until it awakens. When we're tested then it awakens. It ignites the spark. And once it awakens, everything melts in its path. There's no resistance. There's no part of us that can... No matter, we've lived a whole lifestyle, a whole lifetime. We've lived a lifestyle that's the antithesis, 180 degrees opposite of everything that's holy and Jewish and godly and genuine and good. And yet, in the moment of truth, it's as if that whole life never existed. As if that whole life doesn't matter. And this is my truth. And this is the only thing that matters. And I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice not to bow down to this idol. Even for a split second, even for a moment. That's how powerful our Jewishness is. That's how much it means to us. So why wait for that test? Why wait for that moment of truth? Shema Yisrael. Think about it. If this is who I am and this is what we have inside of us then let me wake myself up. It's always better to wake yourself up easier, it's uh, more enjoyable and to be rudely awakened <laughs> wake yourself up and live your life accordingly if I know for a fact that in the moment of truth this is who I am, that means this is who I am now, here and now, today, in this moment in my life in my present moment, wherever I am in life, whatever circumstances I find myself, whatever I'm involved in, this is my truth Whether I'm in politics or business or art it doesn't matter, this is who I am no matter what education I had, I didn't have. This is why I am. So I might as well live it, tap into it, express it in a joyous way, and a loving way. Do something Jewish every day in my life. Study a little Torah every day in my life. Do a mitzvah every day in my life. Do an act of goodness and kindness every day in my life. Pray every day in my life. Connect. Celebrate my Jewishness. Cherish my Jewishness. Realize how precious it is, and how powerful it is, and how potent it is, and how meaningful it is.
0: Okay, let's uh, continue. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to explain how this hidden love also comprises a fear of God necessary in observing the prohibitive commandments. The force of the divine light of the Ein Sof that is clothed in the soul's faculty of chokhmah is so intense as to banish and repel the sitra achra and the klippot so that they are unable to touch even its garments namely the thought speech and action that express one's faith in the unity of God. That is, not only can the Kalipot not weaken one's faith, but they cannot even prevent his faith from expressing itself in thought, speech, and action. This means that the divine light vested in Chokhmah enables him to withstand a test of self-sacrifice, to the extent of even refusing to do a mere empty act that is contrary to his belief in the one God. For example, to bow down before an idol even without acknowledging it in his heart at all, in which case it is not his faith that is being challenged, but its expression in the act of prostrating oneself, and even for his expression of faith a Jew will give his life. So too he will sacrifice his life so as not to speak falsely, God forbid, concerning the unity of God, even where his words do not reflect his true feelings, for his heart is perfect in its belief in God. This readiness for self-sacrifice is not an expression of one's love of God, which reveals itself when confronted with a test of faith, for his love is not directly affected by such empty actions or words. Rather, it expresses the fear contained in the hidden love, the fear of being torn away from God. He doesn't want to be unfaithful, he doesn't want to be torn away, he doesn't want to be disconnected, even for a moment,
1: even for a split second. You know, it's like, uh... Henry Bergson we discussed earlier he could have easily been written down as a non-Jew but he says no I don't don't even want to be written down as a non-Jew even in the official records Nazi records I want them to know I'm a Jew I don't want to be disconnected I want to affirm who I am I'm not ashamed I'm not embarrassed this is who I am so even externally and superficially you're afraid of being disconnected you don't want to be disconnected you don't want to be unfaithful to who you really are it's not a fear of any physical punishment. It's a fear in a sense that you, you don't want to be unfaithful. It's simply not an option. You cannot be disconnected. A Jew cannot be disconnected from God. That's the meaning of fear. I'm afraid of being disconnected, of
0: unplugging myself. Continue. This is called the fear contained in love, meaning the natural love found in the divine soul of all Jews, whose intrinsic desire and will is to be attached to its origin and source, the light of the blessed ain't soft. For by virtue of this love and this desire, it instinctively recoils in fear and dread from touching, God forbid, even the fringe of the impurity of idolatry, which denies the faith in God's unity, even where such contact involves only its outer garments, namely, idolatrous speech and action, without any faith whatever in the heart, in the validity of the idol worship. Even this the soul dreads and this dread represents the fear contained in the hidden love. This is the foundation of the
1: whole Hasidic movement. We started with the Baal Shem Tov, the love of each and every Jew, because unlike other religions that really um, emphasize the greatness of their saints and their <coughs> mystics and their scholars, in Judaism, we emphasize the greatness of our simple people, the simple Jew, the cobblers, the Tailors. Because look, in the moment of truth, who's ready to sacrifice his life? Every Jew, any Jew, no matter who they are, not only the great rabbis, mystics, and scholars who are steeped in religion, in spirituality, and mysticism, in holiness. Simple people. This is where you see a Jew's greatness. It's about that hidden love <coughs> that's concealed, but it's dear. It's dormant, but it is there. It's full force and strength. And that, that's really the greatness. That's why the Baal Shem Tov taught his students. His students were the leading rabbis and scholars of Eastern Europe. And he taught them to respect the simple truth, to be in awe of the simple truth to get out of their ivory towers and to connect and learn from simple truth. Because look at the greatness that each and every Jew has within them. Look at the soul. The greatness is not a man-made greatness. It's not how keen you are intellectually, it's not how intensely you are, how spiritually intense you are, how mystical you are, how spiritual you are. There's something much deeper, much more profound than all of the above. It's the Jew within the Jew, that divine essence, that divine spark, that has a life of its own, no human fingerprints in it. It comes directly from Hashem. and you have it intact in in the moment you're born. And it's being, it's your whole being. Your whole being is Godly. Your whole essence is Godly. The simplest Jew. it's just as connected as the greatest rabbi, mystic and scholar. And we're all equal. There's no condescension, there's no looking down. there's no categorization labeling one Jew, another Jew. All the labels melt and fall by the wayside. What labels? A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. What difference is there? Forum, conservative, orthodox, atheist, unaffiliated, a Jew is a Jew. All these labels, artificial labels, including orthodox, Mm -hmm. they create artificial barriers between one Jew and the next. What makes us Jewish is the spark that we have within us. And every Jew has it equal. Whether they're aware of it or not. Whether they acknowledge it or not, and the self-hating Jew has it, this has it equally. Doesn't matter. Matter of fact, why do you think they're self-hating? Because they're Jewish. It's so Jewish. <laughs> that's the that's almost the biggest expression of their Jewishness. So it's all Jews are the equal. The non-Jews are weird. They don't make any of these any of these distinctions. The Jews are Jewish when they're right. So this gives you a tremendous love, respect and sense of awe of each and every child. The potential that each and every one of us carries within us. The children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel and Leah (coughs) carry such potential, such holiness. And it's there. It's just waiting to be ignited. It's waiting... And we don't need an emergency. We don't need a crisis. We don't need a test to wake us up. The challenge is let's wake ourselves up. Let's do a mitzvah. Let's express our innate, inherent love for Hashem by doing something godly and making it a part of our daily life. And also let's avoid doing anything that's negative, that disconnects us from our A Our should dread and fear, why, do, why, do, why should I be unfaithful? Why should I disconnect myself from who I am? And this becomes the motivation for living a full Jewish life. Not only mechanically and by rote, going through the motions and behaviorally going through the mitzvot and doing the mitzvot. But doing the mitzvot with life. Every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. Doing the mitzvot with passion, with love, with focus, concentration. The mitzvot should inspire you. The mitzvot should move you. You should eagerly look forward to studying Torah. It should be the highlight of your day. You can look forward to doing a mitzvah. Shabbat is the highlight of the week. It's not a day of restrictions, a day of burden. You can't do this and you can't do that. In the Jewish calendar, there is no name for Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sunday is called the first day of the week and Monday is called the second day. The only day of the week that has a name is Shabbos. That's the highlight of the week. It's not like, like the rest of the world where the weekend is a, a day off of R&R to get back to business, to real business. So the main, the highlight of the week is Monday through Friday. But you need a little R&R, so you have off two days. In Judaism, it's the opposite. Shabbos is the highlight of the week. Everything else is just a build-up of preparation. Because when your Jewishness is alive, you're alive as a Jew. You're vibrant. And you're connected. This is one of the most powerful chapters in, in Tanya. And it really explains very clearly foundation of the Tanya, how being Jewish is close to every Jew's heart. If only we were to realize and to wake up and make the connection and realize how important discover ourselves, discover our true selves. Go on an adventure, an exploration, discover your real self. The moment of truth helps us reveal to us who we really are. Because then you you know who you really are. So now that you know that, then implement, make it a part of your life. So now I know that being Jewish is the most natural thing in the the world for any Jew and all Jews to live a Jewish life, to live like a Jew, think like a Jew, act like a Jew, at all times, at all places, 24-7, not only on Shabbat, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, in business, at home, all times, all places, to be continued.